Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1942, in the cold desert of a small border town of Texas, a group of kind are kidnapped and mass embraced by members of the fanatical sect, the Sabbat. Out of this group, only a handful survived, and through rituals and mentorship, they became the pack known as the Pale Riders. Representing the Sword of Cain, they are wielded by a mentor to cut deep wounds within the heartland of Mexico to the enemies of the Sabbat. Wars on Fire is a vampire the masquerade Sabbat chronicle that follows the Pale Riders pack that consists of Mitch, a Lazamba played by Adam, Coyote, a ravenous anti-tribute played by Alex, Eldrick, a Katif played by David, Jasper, a Bruja anti-tribute played by Joaquin, Cora, a Shimizi played by Slavic, and Richard, a Venture anti-tribute played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM or on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So, um, so you guys are you 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 go off onto this road that goes west, and um, let's see how far I think it's going to take about. Okay, so you guys are driving along. The road is compact dirt. It's definitely like a like a, a two-lane road, not a four-lane road. It's like a two-lane road, not a four-lane road. It's bumpy. It's not as bad as you were worried about it being, Richard, when you were driving. Of course, with the suspension of this big old van and trying to like like pay attention to, uh, to, to, to control it, it is a little difficult, but it's not like you were worried about this van was going to like break down. You know what I mean? The axle is going to break. You know what I mean? Now it's not, yeah. it's not comfortable. The seat's don't have cushioning anymore it's almost like every time it bumps your tailbone hits like metal instead of like what was once used to be cushion and you look over at cora and you could kind of see like she's bumping a couple times you know what i mean her head like might almost hit the the top of it first before we start i want to know what's going on in everyone's head right now so i'll start with you richard what's going on in your head right now that you guys are driving down this road Mm, i probably focus on the road like trying to uh, maneuver around the bigger holes in the asphalt just to not risk anything. Well, they get uh, determination, right? Like, yeah, definitely. Like he tries to go fast, but uh, at the same time uh, fears that he might break the uh, van after all. Does he feel that like being in the lead and kind of being the guy that everyone's kind of like, when I say lead, I mean lead of the convoy and the guy, everyone kind of asks about traveling since you read the map and everything. Like, does he feel like he, like, like how does that make him feel as a pack of the member? Does he feel like a, like he has this sense of responsibility now, or you know what I mean? That he plays a critical Definitely. part in all this. All right, okay, yeah, gotcha. um, he feels empowered by it a bit, but at the same time, uh, like he wants to perform well. <laughs> yeah. Like he's under um, the gun kind of like not, not, but not, like they're making him purposely feel that way, but he feels he's proven himself for the love of the pack, I guess, or something like that, or for his own. For his yeah, own. definitely. He's um, proving useful. What, proving useful, exactly, right? Exactly. Uh, and seeing that, that you're, you may, due to your own insecurities, feel like you're having to play catch up, you know what I mean, to rest the pack, even though, you know, they, I'm sure none of them think that way, especially with the Waldry and everything, you know. What about you, Cora? Uh, what's going on in your, in your head right now as you guys are on the road? Well, it's still the full moon, so of course, still pretty angry. Like, it's not like angry, angry, but like full of emotion. She's like fidgeting, and you know, she's literally angrier than a bruja. That supernatural 
anger burning in her brain. So she's sort of fidgeting and, you know, biting on her lip till it bleeds. And just, you know, very intense. Like tapping her foot. Restless. Okay, that's good. What specifically is it? And I know you're saying it's like a mood and it's like a supernatural motion. Is there anything specific, though, in her brain that she keeps like replaying that has her anger? Or is it just like waking up on the wrong side of the bed and just oh, yeah. being like. She especially, she's especially angry about how, you know, the. What was the enemy pack's name? Banditos? I, yeah. Yeah, the Banditos. How. She gave them a gift, and, you know, they were traitors, and she just, you know, uh, she thought she was being nice, and now she's just so angry at them. Just wants to hurt them, you know. What about you, uh, Jasper? What's going on in your head right now? So Jasper is thinking about his conversation with Elenipi and how they need to make sure that they don't get lost in the intoxication of their newfound vampiric status, and after seeing... uh, Coyote, all demon, has because like he might have a point. Uh, it's like I'm oh, starting to, start to get a bit worried about this. So when you say worried, are you worried for like worried about your end of the like like it happening? To you, it's or more you like I'm worried that I might lose them to I lose my packmates oh. to the beast. So you're, uh, do you do you feel a sense of like mourning in a way of like what's going on with Coyote? Do you do you think it's like reversible or what do you think's going to be the like what what like if if I was to ask your character what do you think's going to happen to Coyote in the future? What what do you think? Like what's Jasper? That hopefully about he'll that? like it'll, it'll be reversed, but like he'll like he'll like you know get rid of the demon stuff and be like okay yeah you did okay you did that that's okay at some points like <laughs> but like don't you're going a bit too far you're scaring me a bit. Like you're getting it out of your system, but you you have you're you're oddly an optimist in things in life. You know what I mean? And what you believe in, and that everything can be pure, and and you're so you have this weird sense of optimism that has transferred over to the canine condition. But Coyote, you're, mm-hmm. you're what's going on in your mind right now? Is you're laying in the dark and you have like like how are you sitting back there with this figure in the back of the? the I'm sitting the, the, the leaning camera. back against the wall of the inside of the truck, and I'm cradling the lady and even though it's pitch black i'm staring with my eyes wide open into the distance and i'm just kind of i guess what's going through my head is the promise of future murder is uh you know i put i put my bloodlust in the future and at the moment i'm just i feel really calm and tranquil and i'm just kind of caressing her head while she is ragdolled in my kind of embrace i guess so this is in a way almost like a security blanket of sort, or almost even like the little yeah. chiclet that you had as a kid. Like a little, it's like pet. The little yeah, <laughs> yeah, like a little pet. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's. That, I think that's fucking eerie and scary in a fucked up way too. But yeah, it's like this weird last grasp at humanity that Coyote seems to be trying to, you know what I mean, grasp onto before he sinks that much down. Does it... Singing, singing folk songs that my grandma used to sing me, just quietly in the Did, back of the truck. Is anything from the talk that you and Ilanipi had? like going through your head, like during that, when he talked to you, you know what I mean about all that? Or, or is it just right now you're just like, just trying to feel warm and comfortable and you, you don't want to think about anything. I'm almost in a zine moment. I, I'm envisioning the kind of horrific things I'm going to inflict on the banditos when we get to them. Mental visualization. That's cool. I can dig that. I'm a huge fan of mental visualization. Not the thought of imagining no murdering people, but you know what I mean? Mitch, what's going on in your head as you're driving? Mitch is uh, having a very introspective drive, thinking about where he was at the start of this whole 
Sabat experience and how he has progressively become more and more comfortable with the more monstrous aspects of it as his humanity has dropped. And he's still starting and working on parsing out all of the memories that he gained as a result of the Diablery. So would you say like comments like the beer for the road thing kind of like that is like your way of like trying to make light of like accepting what you're becoming and everything or what? Yeah, he's trying to crack wise because it's easier to do that than to really choke down the horror. Yeah. So you're dri- you guys are driving for about an hour and you see Mitch when you're in the when you're in the second vehicle, you kind of see off in the distance as you're looking because you have clear desert on both sides of you seriously it's only it's beautiful i mean and just from a storyteller whatever like there's nothing more beautiful to me than like a clear night in the desert you know and having like the full moon kind of shine upon it because in a way it's like that desert sand almost like makes the night glow a little bit more and it's easier to see at night and you can see kind of like the shapes of joshua trees and cacti and 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 like rocks are sticking out you know what i mean and t- tumbleweed bushes and 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 then like almost like little little mini dunes kind of like on the side of the road you know what i mean to where if you're hitting you want to just go into the desert but you know what i'm saying like you see as as, as far as the eye can see there's a, literally like nothing else on the landscape except just the road that's going forward. And until Mitch, as you're seeing there, you see on the right far off, it looks like it might even be like a mile. You can kind of just see like a silhouette of something that's on like a little hill. It almost looks like you'd have to go down the road for like a mile or two and go off on the right, which is to the south. And it looks like a little like uh, it looks like a church. You can definitely see like on the top, almost like a cross. You know what I mean? Like it's like a building that kind of has like a, a I want to say steeple almost. You know what I mean? With like an old older cross, but you can't quite see all the details. You know, and you can see like like it looks like light is coming from within a window there. Mitchell, uh, hit the horn real quick. You hear the horn, uh, Richard? And Mitchell pulls and yeah, Mitch will pull off to one side and try to pass the uh, dairy truck. Slow down as we get up to the church. Yeah. So you're driving up, and you see as you get to where, like, the road has a turn off, and there's, like, these two wooden posts that are, like, on each side of the road, you know? And you can kind of see at night. You can see at night. It looks like there's a wooden fence like a handmade fence that goes wrong where it's like two posts and it's two vertical posts that go across and you can kind of look and you see it probably goes like maybe like an acre you know i mean it goes maybe like a hundred yards one way a hundred yards the other along the road and then it cuts into the desert you know and you see the road goes up into there and you see it goes up a little hill like about 50 yards and you see that there is this older church it is made of like 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 a lot of the buildings that were made back then, almost like the uh, the little uh, hotel huts you stay that has like a wood that looks to be weathered from like the sun, you know what I mean? And the elements that it's made of is not painted, you know. And you see that there's like a huge double wooden door up front, and there's steps that lead up to it. And you see the wooden doors are closed, but you see actually though on those double wooden doors, they're actually are decorated, meaning they have like the uh, each has like these two 
Virgin Mary Madonnas almost that are like they were carved into this wood almost like like the wood of the doors is not made of the same wood that rest of the place is. It's almost odd, right? It's like cheap weathered wood, and you have this nice like darker wood, and it, and it has like um two painting Madonnas of the of the Virgin Mary, but they're they're colorful. Like there's like like flowers at her feet, you know what I mean? And there's bright pastel colors. They're kind of weathered, but it looks like at one point they're hand painted, you know. And you see that there are like two windows on each side, and you can see that there's candlelight that that and, and lantern light that seems to go through and you see that there is like what could be like a like a parking lot but it's really gravel because at this time there weren't like a lot of like parking lots deep in mexico you know what i mean but the gravel is there in case anyone has a vehicle but you see there's like horse hitches you know what i mean and you can kind of see when you're driving up there if you look uh behind the church you see that there's like two little like shanty homes that are on the same ground there and one has like light coming from within it one of the windows but the other doesn't and there's like these walkways that lead from like the front of the church that come around like well walkways that go back there or maybe even from the back you know so you're coming uh you're going to turn into the road oh yeah that leads up to it Right. Yes. So you see Mitch turn off to the road to this church uh you can feel coyote like the vehicle kind of slowing down a little bit are you guys the rest of you guys following him all right, scenes on you guys. Go ahead. All right, Mitch will pull in. He'll park. He'll get out of the truck. He'll light a cigarette and take a long look at the church. Yeah, you kind of see what I described before. You know what I mean? You're like you're you're just sitting there, and you're you guys see Mitch doing that too. He gets out of the vehicle and seems to just be kind of lost in thought, staring at it while smoking a cigarette. Are you staying well, in the back, Coyote? Or are you getting out? Or I feel it stop, so I'll open the door and after gently placing what's her name down i'll get out and kind of just silently sidle up to mitch and light up a cigar and just stand there silently puffing away next to him you wish all right to what about everyone else? before we go on our way i need to have a talk with a man in a priest's shirt real quick shall we wait here know. or please do very well very well do your cora? business brother cora you're in charge while i'm gone I'll make sure everyone behaves. Thank you. Mitch will walk up to the church. Um, he'll test it, making sure he doesn't just immediately burst into flame. Yeah. I mean, you don't even know. I mean, yeah, smart move. But you guys don't even know about true faith or anything. You know what I mean? Anything to that extent. You know what I'm saying? But So you, you put your hand on the, hand, the, your hand on the handle. Nothing uh, happens, you know, like it's normal, normal door. Okay. He'll finish off the cigarette, take a deep breath, and walk in. Uh, you open the door, and the door kind of creaks as you open it. And you look, and you see, like, there's, like, five pews on the side, right? And then you see, like, there is this tabernacle, right? That's the stand, right? And there's a tabernacle there. Nothing is on it at the moment. And you kind of see to the left, there looks like to be, like, there's, like, a, a two confession booths where like one the priest would go in and one you would go in you know and you smell like sawdust in here and you could still smell like the the smell of incense that like the priest has that he walks along you know and that he he usually starts you know has like in the ball that he's walking along during a lot of the mass during the mass and you can smell it and, and, and it's like almost like it's ingrained itself into the wood it's this refreshing calmness that that kind of that creeps over you when you walk in and you see right to your left 
like where they would put holy water, where they would baptize like new babies or people who convert to the left there. And you can see in the pews in the front and like in behind the seats, you see like these very old, old parchments that have like uh, um, hymns and hymnals that people can sing along with and open up to sing along with. But they haven't looked like they haven't been used in forever because it can only be assumed that people who go to this, go here for mass are so dedicated to the, the, the Catholic church. They already know these hymnals. They don't need to like sit there and sing along with them because these are, this is a church that maybe is for local villages. You know what I mean? I have to travel or walk for like an hour just to get there. You know, old women who, who, who may be alone with no kids to watch out for them and dead husbands may walk here with like their worn down shoes just, you know, for mass, maybe even daily, you know? And so when, when, you open this door and you you smell it it's like a it's like a it's a sense of calm and you see as you as you do that there's a person who's like looks like he's about to put out the lantern that that is behind the the stand at the front of the, the tabernacle i don't want to keep saying that because i'm gonna mess it up i'm gonna just call it a stand from now on and, and and he's like like he's about to dim it and you see there was a door there and he turns around and he looks and, and you see he um is wearing like these black like faded pants and he has like a short sleeve button up black faded shirt with the priestly collar on there. He uh, seems to be around 60 or 70 years of age, probably the same age as you. His skin is not as dark as Mexicans that you've seen. He has a Hispanic look to him, uh, like a Mediterranean look in a way, but he, he's not like pale. I'm not trying to imply he's like a Canaanite, but you know what I mean? He doesn't look as Aztecian as others that you've seen in the country here. He has a full head of black hair that has salt and pepper on the sides and he has no facial hair. He looks to be maybe about 140, 150 pounds and about 5'10", 5'11". So he's rather skinny for his size there, but he he, um, he looks healthy and in a way, which is not something that you have seen often when the, the few times you have gone this deep into Mexico. Because for the most part, you guys are pretty, I know it's not really deep into Mexico, but this is deeper than a lot of you guys have had to go, you know what I mean, into Mexico before. And you see, he turns around, he looks at you, and he says in Spanish, he's like, oh, uh, g- good evening. And he sa- you see, he's kind of caught off guard a little bit, seeing uh, Caucasian, you know what I mean, male standing there at, 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 uh, inside the church. And in fluent Spanish, Mitch will uh, reply, hola, Padre. The is there something I can help? Okay. Yes, son. Yes, my son, I do. And he, you see him, he kind of like takes his, like he was turning down the landing. You see him, he turns it up just a little bit, you know what I mean? Knowing now that he's going to be in there. And he, he turns and he like brushes his hands off his shirt and he walks past the stand and walks down a couple steps. And you can hear his, he has like these boots on, you know, like cowboy boots in a way. And you can hear like the heels are hitting the, the wood and kind of make this, this distinct sound, almost like he, is the owner of this, you know, like he, he, like even his steps portray that he is part of this very foundation of, of what this church is. Then he walks towards you with his hands extended and a, and a warm smile on his face. And he's like, of course. Uh, and he's like, and your name is. You can call me Mitch and I'll shake his hand. Well, and he, and he like shakes his hand. It's nice to meet you. I am father Molta. And he, and he's like, what, what do you wish to talk about? I have a question on sin, father. Sin. Do you see confession? Oh, no, no. I don't think that would do me much good at this point. But I've got a he looks, philosophical it, question for you. He looks at you for a second. He looks perplexed, and then he motions for one of the, the booths to, to take a seat, you know? And he's like, do you care to take a seat? I will happily take a seat, Father. 
and he takes a seat next to you, like like leaves a foot between you guys, but he sits on the same, you know what I mean? Booth, and he kind of like turns towards you, and he kind of props his like his arm up on the booth, and he crosses his legs, and he's like, "What nature of sin do you wish to speak of, my son?" It's a question of nature and of sin, so I'm glad you opened that way, Father. What does one do when sin is a very deeply ingrained and unavoidable part of their nature? And I'm not speaking in the everyone, you know, does something wrong on occasion because we're all idiots sense. I'm speaking in the you have to do it or you die sense. That has been a question that has been asked since the dawn of our church, my son. You know, they said that Jesus died so we all can be forgiven for our inherent sins. We all are inherent sinners in our nature, but I feel you're asking more of a question that deals with choices that we are faced with. No, this has nothing to do with choice. I'm not talking about original sin. I've been baptized, that's been washed away, but I've been rebaptized, and I'm pretty sure that sin's a part of my soul now, and there ain't no way to avoid it. When you say you've been rebaptized, my child, what do you mean by that? It's a long story. I would prefer not to get into it. We have nothing but time out here. You look like a man who could use a drink. I have a feeling I'm going to need to drink during this discussion. I'm you quite sure? good, Father. Thank you. But please feel free to imbibe. Here, come. And he kind of motions, uh, you know, you to follow him. This, my quarters are simply right behind here. Like, I feel like I'm going to need a scotch before we before we delve any further into this. And he's like, I smell cigar on you, so I take it you're a man who enjoys pleasantries. I do on occasion. Yeah. <laughs> You see, he walks by. He's like, I found myself since I've been in this land. And he's like, I am originally from Portugal, so excuse me uh, if if I don't seem to fit into these regions here. But I've been here for the last 30 years, but I still find myself clinging to delicious drinks and, uh, and, and fine cigars, which I suppose we all have our voices, right? And he kind of just smiles as he opens the back door, and you see there's these steps, and he walks this path. It's like real small shit. It's like a one-room wooden hut thing. And he opens, there's like a bed there, and there's like a table with like a lantern. You kind of see he turns on the lantern. There's some books sprawled about, and you see there's a little like bottle, and he just kind of like pours himself, and he, he takes a seat in a chair, and he motions you to another another chair sitting there. He's like, you sure you want like a drink, my child? I am quite sure, Padre. Do you mind if I smoke? Just go on ahead. Go on ahead. Matter of fact, I think it would be rude if you didn't offer me one in return for my services. And he, like, winks at you, you know? Very well. I'll hand him a cigarette and light one of my own. Then I'll hold out the lighter for him. He, 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 he lights it, and he looks at you, and he's like, listen. He's like, listen, I have to be honest. While I do enjoy drinking, having a cigarette, part of this, I have to say, was to get you to relax a little bit. So you can tell me a little bit more so I can help you. I can tell that whatever is happening to you or whatever you have a question about bothers you deeply ingrained into your soul. And you wish to to guard that because we all want to guard what is within us. And we don't want to show it to the world at times. But I can also tell that you are seeking answers. My child, I cannot give you answers unless you shed a little bit of light on what your predicament is. (sighs) Were you a soldier, Father? In a way, I was. I found myself uh, going to Spain in the 30s. I wasn't a soldier, 
but I found myself trying to do relief during the, 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 the struggles that occurred in that country not so long ago. But myself, I've never lifted a weapon up in, uh, with the purpose to harm for any kind of goal or motivation. But I am a soldier of God in a way. Say that you're a Protect soldier my flock. here on earth in a real mm-hmm. war with yes. real bloodshed, and you have no choice but to fight. Does the bloodshed become sin? Or, because you have no choice, is it necessary and forgiven? There was a time during the Crusades where knights and those who said they served the church wanted to travel to the Middle East to free the Holy Land. And before they left, they would get baptized and they'd have holy water put on them, put over their body, spilled over their body. But when that happened, they always left out their sword arm and held their sword out to where it wasn't touched by the holy water. And that was to signify at that time that everything was blessed and baptized except for the arm that did the killing. Because in their minds, they felt that if they did that, that all the looting and the plunder and the death they would cause would be forgiven. Do you understand? Because in a way they were saying that they were soldiers of, of Jesus and of the church and of God. But that one arm that did the killing and did the looting was not expected to follow the rules that the rest of their body and their soul was. I found, and I'm sure you sit here and you think, as I thought when I first heard that story and read about that, that it was um, someone trying to take advantage of a system to, to accomplish theft and, and death and, and, and destruction and, and, and gaining worldly possessions by cheating the system. But there have been men and women who have been members of this great church of ours and body and of mind who have found themselves in predicaments like you have expressed. And it's currently going on overseas in the, in the, in the continent. It is currently happening as we speak. Men who are part of our church who are thinking they're fighting for one side or another. And it has been like that since, since man. What I am trying to say to you is do you seek forgiveness? Do you seek retribution? Or do you seek an excuse to go on with whatever you feel you are doing? What if I am entirely a sword arm? But to me, it doesn't sound like that you're not. It sounds like a part of you wants forgiveness. When I talk to you, and I do not feel like I want to know what is going on outside these walls. Go ahead. I want understanding more than forgiveness, Father. Understanding of what? Why you do what you do? I cannot give you that answer. Understanding why I am what I am and what that means. What are you, my son? A soldier. Not just a sword arm, but all of me is a sword. And what army do you represent? You see, he's starting to look concerned now, looking at you, you know? I'm still trying to figure that one out. You look rather old to be a soldier, or to be a sword, or to be part of an army. Who is your enemy? I was in the Great War, and I was in Pershing's little expedition. So you're dealing with memories of your past, and you feel that you haven't changed since then. Do you feel like those experiences have made you something what you are now? Yes, experiences have in fact made me what I am now. Well, there's good news in the fact that all sin can be forgiven. And to me, if you coming here and you expressing this to me and you telling me this shows that within that you seek that forgiveness. But is and it sin, can happen. Is it sin to do what I am supposed to do when what I am is not something I chose? Yes. 
because we all have a choice. You're saying you have no choice, but you do. That is unfortunate. But that is what's great, because all can be forgiven. We are all in charge of our destiny. Mitch will look him right in the eyes. Thank you, Father. You look tired. Perhaps you should sleep. Oh, God. <laughs> You're going to use Dominate? Yep. My play difficulty of the target's willpower. More successes force the subject to act with greater vigor or for a longer duration. Permanent. Uh, we'll yeah. say six. Two successes. He, he slowly, like, falls asleep. And you see, like, you see him drop down this drink spills on his shirt. And kind of, like, the his hand goes limp. And the glass, like, rolls off his thigh and hits the wood. But since it's not, like, a super hard, like, tile, it just, the, you kind of hear a thud and it just kind of slowly rolls as it spills its contents a little bit on the wood. And you see the wood kind of absorb it a little bit. And a cigarette, like, dangles from his fingers. But, like, almost like a heroin addict who's kind of nodded off. It's, like, still kind of held somehow in, in, in his two fingers. Mitch will bite him. Okay. We'll top off my blood pool there. How much are you taking? Mitch will take two to top off his blood pool. Yeah, so you take two blood pool points, all right. And then he's going to keep going until he can feel the oh, priest's good. heartbeat slow to a precarious degree. So you take two, and as you keep going and you know you're sustained, but you've, you have fallen almost in a dance with its heartbeat. You find yourself like, like almost like you're guiding him, like you were guiding, like used to guide when you were a teenager, young, before you met your wife, like used to guide her in these like, like barn dances that were like people in Texas would go to. And, and you feel like the heartbeat is going with as fast as you're drinking. And eventually you hear it go do, 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 do. And you feel it, you hear, uh, kind of like, uh, uh, slowly, uh, goes away and slowly falls into nothingness as his life slips away. Mitch will bite his wrist and just let the blood sort of pour over the priest's mouth. You like bite your wrist and you see like your blood starting to coagulate and you put it over his his face and through your sheer will of your canine condition, you force it to flow quicker than it did. And it starts like dropping like this, like raining down on his lower mouth and his face. I mean, literally, he's completely dry when you kill them. You're sitting there and you're watching and it almost seems to go in slow motion. And you see one bead like hit his lower lip. And then all of a sudden, as soon as it went within his mouth, you see the eyes like open up, open up and directly stare at you. And you see these eyes that you never knew you kind of saw before that they were like green in a way brownish green and you see that slowly they like change and become like this pale green as as it's staring up looking at you and you see like his his skin that is this beautiful like olive color portuguese toned skin like like just seems to drop a little bit like a like a like a shade and and he stare and you hear this for a second and there's this like anticipation because at first honestly when you do it you're like and you you're like oh shit like you know what I mean as soon as the 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 hit inside his mouth and his eyes open and then you just hear this like just like this just like inhuman like 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 coming from its chest and it just like shoots out of its mouth for a second as his fangs are extended and you see like it's like his lips start curling back and you see like his his gums start drying up and you see these his incisors just like drop down 
and you see his nose, like his nostrils, like seem to flare out almost like they each have a, a muscle system and a nervous system of their own. And it, and it's looking right at you. Uh, it seems on you. Mitch will stand up, grab the chair that he was sitting on, rip one of yeah. the chair legs off. Okay. And jam it into the priest's chest. All right, I won't make you roll for that. So, yeah, you, like, sit there because it's weak, you know what I mean? Right now, the old, it's it's pretty much frenzying at the moment. As soon as you, like, take the chair leg and just push it through, you see it just, like, stops, like, mid-roar. You see, like, these these the muscles in his neck are, like, all tense in his neck. And you see that his hair, you're looking at his hair as soon as you do it, and you see almost like it has this, like, shine to it, like it's like didn't have before. Like, almost like a conditioned shine. And, and as you're looking at it, as soon as you stake him, you see, like, it almost like it's like a wave that was going over his hair slowly. Like, like it's almost like happening before your eyes, but it's frozen now at that moment. Like, the, the, the figure is frozen, the, the priest. All right, what are you going to do after that? I'll prop him up and give it a few minutes, light another right. cigarette, enjoy it, wait long enough where I think he may have passed that initial frenzy, and then I'll look at him, Father, if I'm going to be damned, then I embrace it wholeheartedly, because it is in my nature, it is in my soul, and it is unavoidable. I am a sword, and there is nothing that will wash the blood off. And you have this torpor figure just like – because you saw the stake in him, right? Is that what you did? You sat him up and just with the stake in him? Yep. Okay, yeah. So you just see like you, – you you know out of character and in character if it's torpor, they can still hear. You know what I mean? And everything like that. And you just see like th- these glossed over eyes just like – you know, it's not looking directly at you, but you can – you feel this connection with him. You feel almost like like you know that he can hear. And it's this weird sensation that you're feeling with him. It's almost like the sensation you feel when Vidar uses obtenebration. And I'm not saying Vidar is your, your sire or any shit like that, but, you know, like, because the sense of obtenebration and being Lazombra, even though you don't have obtenebration, you feel this odd sense of connection with it. You feel something similar right now with this priest who's sitting across to you. So you feel almost like you know you're connected with him, if that makes sense. And I'm explaining out character, child, sire. You know what I mean? Connection there. Mitch will uh, look around the room. Does he have the incense back here? Yeah, I can say that. You see like a little like case of it that's in a corner, you know? Mitch will pull out the incense, sprinkle it into the priest's lap, walk back out into the church, look at the lamp. It's an oil lamp, right? Yeah. Mitch will grab the oil lamp, walk back into the priest's room. Go in my stead, Father. And he will shatter the lamp at the priest's feet. Two things. I love this. <laughs> One, you shatter the lamp, and you just see the fire spread. And as soon as the fire, like, touches his pants and the oil hits it, you just it seems to almost, like, catch quicker than you would think. Like, it seems to, like, all of a sudden the fire starts spreading. And you see, like... Like, like you hear a crackling of the shirt, and you hear, like, a popping coming from the, the, the body. It almost sounds like grease when it starts to pop, you know, when you're, cook- when you're cooking in a frying pan almost. You hear a little bit of that, and all of a sudden, this, the, whole, the, the whole figure of the priest catches 
And it's like almost like instantaneous. So you back off because you feel this overwhelming sense of heat in, in, uh, coming from the body. And then all of a sudden, like the death starts catching fire and a little bit of alcohol that was on the floor. And then all of a sudden, this, this place is starting to catch on fire. Before we continue, I need to get two, uh, two humanity rolls from you, good sir. One for killing him and making him a kindred and then one for killing him again. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what's your humanity right now? Four. Okay. So. You're not like Coyote bad, but you might be at the end of this. Yeah, so the first one, Conscious Difficulty 8, please. <laughs> botch. Did he botch? Did you really botch? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so you lose two humanity. You lose one One of your conscious, dots and conscious, which leaves you to one. Holy shit, Mitch. And then you get a derangement, which... Welcome to the club. We'll figure... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You get a revised derangement which we'll talk about after this and then uh i need one more conscious roll from the police difficulty eight <laughs> this is not gonna go well don't bust real uh, <laughs> oh then nope just a failure so you drop another one so you're down to one humanity which i think coyote you're down to one humanity too right i am yeah, yeah, you're down- wait would he have to roll Two. humanity for killing someone when he was solo from what's like oh humanity? that's a good oh, question that's right yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're yeah. at humanity too. What's the? Does I don't have a book with me. So can someone pull the chart for humanity? That's a good roll. So like that's a good call, Mitch. You're lucky you got good pack mates who are like a <laughs> <laughs> like good ductus will watch out for your little bit of humanity. Uh, casual violation, thoughtless killing, feeding pests, satiation. For what? For two? What? He's yeah, at that's humanity too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, I would say that's thoughtless, like killing, right? Like, that's... oh no, it was very deliberate. <laughs> deliberate killing's four, right? He planned that okay. out. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you're good. I won't make you roll a second one. All right, so okay, you you are down to two. Now you do have a revised arrangement, which we'll talk about once the scene's done. We'll say about fifteen minutes, twenty minutes has gone by before the fire starts. All right, so you guys are all standing. The rest of you four standing in the parking lot. Scenes on you guys. Go ahead. Nah, I'm feeling quite restless this night. Full moon's making me crazy. Just want to sink my fangs into something. Um, I want to look up towards... You said there were two little shacks or houses a little bit away from the church. Yeah, there are two. Yeah. Uh, okay. As, yeah, you see that there's two of them, yeah. One light on, one light off, right? Yeah. Okay, I will um, kind of to Cora aside, I'll say, hey... Why don't you go check out the house with the lights? I'm going to go and check the one where the lights are out. I'm going to poke around. Sounds like something to do. I don't think the people that are awake will let me in. As soon as I hear (laughs) that, I'll be like, oh, I do need to get my driver some food. They still need that humans, don't they? I'll glance back at the truck and say, "I I think the girl needs to eat too, but I don't know how the food's going to get in. I'll take care of that. Cora, why don't you stay here? I'll bring you back some some food. I'll bring the girl back some food. You stay here. Make it look pretty for me. Okay. I'm going to follow after uh, Coyote. So, uh, Coyote, Jasper, what are you doing, Richard? Are you going with them or are you staying with... Uh, I think I'm going to stay with Cora, uh, being morbidly interested in what's going uh, to happen to that girl. Coyote and Jasper, you guys uh, are heading around the church on the left side. 
as you guys are slowly creeping along, there's the one little shack that's almost like the one that, that, that Mitch and the priest went into that has the lights on. And as you guys are coming around, you hear a door open from the church. And you stop for a second and you see Mitch walking down a path following a priest into the one that's not lit. And then you see that they go in there. Okay. Um, I'll let you decide first, Jasper. Well, I think that if we want to meet them face to face, you might want to not be immediately present, just so your because your appearance can lead to escalation far too quickly. I can de-escalate the situation quickly enough if we need it. But if we do, <laughs> I'm a bit. I must confess, I'm you. I'm a bit concerned about you, or brother. Hmm. I'll look at him, quizzed, quizzically. You, when we first met, I was imp- impressed by your, 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 your power. Your, you knew what you were. You didn't try to pretend anything about you else. But I must confess, this uh, gesture like, to the horns and everything—it's. What exactly do you intend to achieve with this? Do you intend to keep this for years, why, decades to come? Why hide what I am? I can. My outside perfectly reflects my inside now. But, but does my honesty it, scare you? Not at all. It's just that I was I was always of the opinion that what you are in the inside is far more complex than anything the outside can show. Case in point, if you look at me. You see a man of education, but I am so much more than that. Right. There is simply no way for me to express what I am with what what you see. When you strip yourself down to your pure instincts, it's a lot easier to reflect that than a man of learning would find. I want to look like how I feel. I I don't want there to be a distinction between my inner and outer world anymore. Truly, hmm. I can I can keep a low profile if it offends the rest of you. If you don't want to draw attention, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I respect your convic- conviction, brother. I really do. Thank you. Uh, I'll uh, give him a wide, uncomfortably wide grin, so that you can see like the back, my back teeth, right up the gum line, everything. Hmm. Yeah, that will take require some adjustment, I suppose. But, but there are listen, worse I see where you're coming to... from. Why don't you go check out the houses? I'll hang back here. All right. But can you find me two things? Some food and a pretty dress for my new friend. I... <laughs> okay, brother. Thank you, Jasper. I'll clasp his shoulder uh, uncomfortably tight and then turn and walk back towards Cora. You see him turn around and leave. Uh, scenes on you. What are you going to do? Okay, now that I know that as soon as like, if someone's home, they're not going to immediately scream, ah, and do, try to bloody murder. <laughs> I'm just going to go up to the shack that is how he has a, that uh, Mitch and the police did not go into. So you're going to knock on the door? You're just going to open the door? Yes, what are you going to knock do on about the door. That? All right, you knock on the door and you hear some rustling and, you know, like sounds of movement inside and the door slowly opens and you see, uh, this, uh, 
Hispanic lady, uh, definitely Mexican. She looks like she's probably uh, maybe like 40s, in her mid-40s. She has this like long sleeve uh, uh, white nightgown, leaves everything to imagination. Very conservative, kind of kept looking in the background. You see like dark robes of a nun, like in the back. You know what I mean? That, that are behind there. And she says in Spanish, like, um, hello? Yes. I am afraid my Spanish is limited. Do you understand English? Uh, she looks around like confused, and she's like, uh, a, a little, little bit. Excellent. Yes, I'm, I came by to acquire a few things. I have, I would require some food and, uh, I suppose, some clothing for a, a companion of mine. We've been traveling for a while, and we. I'm afraid this long trips are uh, making it a bit awkward to deal with problems. But she, she, she's, she's trying to follow. And she's like, she turns and she looks in Spanish and she's like uh, speaking the Spanish to someone else. And then you see this like about 20 year old Hispanic lady comes dressed the same way. You know what I mean? And you're kind of getting the sense that there's two females in here and she looks and she's like, because you don't speak Spanish, right? You, you don't Not speak right. Spanish. Your character doesn't. Yeah. So the room Spanish, you hear a voice come out. She's like, Oh, yeah, and she speaks better English. Like, I'm sorry, uh, 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 Sister Rosita does not know, she does not know English well, uh, that well, that well at all. Sorry. Um, you, I heard, I hear you, I heard you say that you, you, uh, need food and, and clothes for, uh, uh, a woman, a woman, a girl, woman? Yes. Um, uh, she, she looks confused. She's, you can see she's kind of like trying to look past you a little bit, you know what I mean? To see like what's going on out there. And she's like, uh, you see, she, she says something in Spanish and she's like, um, uh, can you give us, uh, um, uh, two, two, two minutes, two moments, moments for, uh, of, so we can get, uh, we can get dressed properly. But of course, sister. Thank you. And you see, <laughs> it's kind of like, and you can see, what's your humanity for, right? Your humanity is still like. Yeah. Comfortable around you a little bit. Four, yeah. Yeah, there was no like close the door smile. You know, there was close the door, like hurry up. And you hear like sounds in the background, and then the door opens up again, and you see like about five minutes later. We'll say in that five minutes, like the talk is still going on. You don't even know that someone's getting embraced in the area next to you, you know? And then you hear, um, and then you hear the door open up, and they come out, and 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 right before when the door opens up, you hear the door to the other room open up and you look and, and Mitch doesn't see you, but Mitch walks out and you see him walking into the church, mm-hmm. got with a lantern. And as you're about to like say, Hey, the door opens up and you know, and he walks in the room and you look and the girls, they didn't see him go in the room. You know what I mean? And, and they're like the nuns and they're like, Oh, okay. Please. And the younger ones like, please uh, follow, follow. Yes. Follow us, please. All right. Uh, uh, we have food within the church. We uh, and pantry for charity, charity. Um, clothes. I don't. We don't have clothes here. I'm. I'm sorry, but uh, we have food. I understand. Uh, hmm. Lead on. I. I'll have to just quit chat with my, chat with my friend. Okay, and, and then you see she follows, and you follow the two, and they open the door, and they go in there, and they're like, you see one, they're talking in Spanish, like they're feeling around, and the, and you see the, can you hold the door so we can see, I don't know what happened to our lantern in here, can you hold the door so the moon, uh, of light, moon, yes, and you see as they're looking around, you see them stumbling, she, see, she opens up this pantry, and you see she kind of like, you see her grabbing like, looks like little tin cans, 
You know what I mean? And she kind of like takes some and she, and her, she's holding like four cans of like beans. And you see the other ones has like some, a couple of cans of like sardines. They're kind of, you kind of see they're kind of motioning towards you with it. All right. Now the, thank you for, thank you for your charity. I must, I am very appreciative of it. Now yes, yes, I, I am afraid we come to the messy part. Coyote, if you would come and we ha- we have a choice available for us. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah, you hear Jasper's voice coming from like behind the church. You know what I mean? Because it's quiet desert night. You know what I'm saying? Um, you see the girls like they look confused. And they look around like like they kind of walking towards around the corner. They don't see ja- uh Coyote. You know what I mean? But you could tell they're going to wherever you're talking. You're thinking that's where they need to take the food. Uh, what are you gonna do, Coyote? I will. I'll leave it in Jasper's hands. I'll say to Jasper, hey, whatever action you decide, I will carry out for you. Well, you, as, as I say to him in English, like, yeah, we do need, they don't really tend to keep clothes, so we'll have to use one of them, but uh, it can't be too messy when, if you, whatever you pick. Just, it's good well, to have spares lying around. I did promise that I would bring something back for Cora to feed on. Okay, step out. Yeah, because as you guys are talking across the side of the church, the, the nuns are walking in the dark towards you, Coyote. You know what I mean? Uh, go ahead. What are you saying? You're going to step out? Two nuns, right? Two? Yeah, two. Like a 40-something-ish and a 20-something-ish nun. I will swiftly... I want to swiftly move towards them, grip both their throats, one in each hand, and snap them simultaneously. So you come out of the shadows, and you just hear, like... We're going to jump to you two, Richard and Cora. You know what I mean? We're going to cover what you guys are doing during this. You hear Jasper, like, like just a scream. Like, ah! You hear, like, shit drop. You know what I mean? Like, into the dirt, you know, that they're holding. You just hear, like, a gurgling sound. As Cora does, you rush up and you just grab them both by their throat and you lift them up for, like, a foot. And you kind of see the silhouette of this, Jasper. You can't see, like, clearly, but you can see it in the moonlight. And you just hear, crack, and, like, the, the crack of their necks, like, it seems to reverberate throughout the desert. But as soon as you're like, oh, wow, that was loud, all of a sudden you hear a, and you're like, what the fuck? And you look behind you and you see, like, like uh, the door open to the other hut and you see, like, flames just starting to shoot in there. And you see Mitch's silhouette standing like he's watching the inside of the house. Hello, folks. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One which wouldn't be drowned out by random posts and discussion so that your media could get the attention you want? Well, we have the answer for you in a Facebook group we run called White Wolf RPGs Gameplay and Media. The group is specifically ran with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. We are currently over 1,000 members strong, and we are continuing to rapidly grow with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there. High Level Games the industry's first choice in taking your games to the next level. 
We are a podcast blog and new media network at highlevelgames.ca. We have blog posts about all of your favorite games going up five days a week and a podcasting network with actual plays and shows that discuss role-playing games with more rolling out all the time. We are on iTunes, Twitch, and YouTube. Find out more information at highlevelgames.ca, a site that certainly isn't controlled by a shadowy board of directors of otherworldly origin. That's highlevelgames.ca. Please, help. They're coming. The mission seemed simple enough, don't they always? Simple sweep and flush-out operation. We loaded them up in a hazmat tanker in Montreal and shipped them to a downtown warehouse in the Valley of the Sun. It would have been in and out in a few nights. Well, we wouldn't be telling the story if it all went as planned, would we? I go ahead and uh, I pop Wyden. Alright, yeah, I'm going to run at him and do a sweet spin kick and knock his head off. We're waiting to see whether or not the abomination kills us. Shufflehead Chronicles is available on the Critical Hints feed. Search for Critical Hints in iTunes, Google Play, or any other podcatcher. I, I, I don't think this is how, no. The Los Angeles metropolitan area is constantly growing and changing. The Central District is full of new buildings. The Hollywood and Wilshire Districts, once far from downtown, now are part of a which spreads past Beverly Hills and out to the ocean. Why is all this going on in Los Angeles? Why is Los Angeles an exploding city? Neon Masquerade. The Demon's Mirror. Thirteen Candles. Three Chronicles running through the undead veins of the City of Angels. The Esoteric Order of Role Players Actual Play Podcast invites you to drink deeply. Go to EORpodcast.com and search the Duets tag to find out more. channel, the video journals of Mike Bailey. Mike Bailey is a character I play in a live-action vampire game called New England Nightmares, which uses the new finite studio rules for Mind's Eye Theatre. The Chronicle's set in the city of New Haven, Connecticut, and we run on the third Saturday of every month in Southington, Connecticut. Most of the credit for the stories told in my journals comes from the plots developed by the amazing storytellers who run my game. So the videos on my channel are basically an in-character 
video logs of the newly sired Ventrue, Mike Bailey. They follow him from his days as a naive mortal, to his violent embrace during the Anarch Revolt in the city of London, and on to his arrival on the shores of New Haven. The journals show Mike trying to come to terms with his kindred nature, his powerful but impure blood, and his attempts to hide his past from other members of the court of Prince Lucius. They put out updates every two weeks, and I love feedback and questions, so check out my channel, subscribe, and leave me a comment.